I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I pray that you'll join me in Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to thank Pastor Jacob for preaching the 11 o'clock hour last week. Did y'all enjoy Pastor Jacob? He is a tremendous young pastor, and I'm grateful for him. Chris Porter did the 930 sermon, and uh, Pastor Justin did the 815. Uh, Pastor Justin had one saved at the 815 last week, and man, we rejoice over that soul that come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and uh, grateful for all of the pastors that did such a wonderful job last week. Uh, Nate did the PM service, and he did tremendous as well. Uh, I am so grateful to have these young uh, men, uh, and thank God for their commitment to Jesus Christ and giving people an opportunity to be saved. Now that we're at Hebrews chapter number 11, we're going to see kind of a shift, if you would, uh, in regards to what the writer's going to be talking about. Up until this point, the writer of Hebrews has been uh, talking about how Jesus is greater than all different kinds of things. He lists several things. He says that he's greater than the, uh, than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the old uh, sanctuary. Last week he talked about he's greater than the old sacrifice. He just proves time and time and time and time again how Jesus Christ is greater than anything you can ever imagine. It's important to understand and remember the audience which is receiving this word. The audience is Jewish Christians. They're Messianic Christians. They're Jews that have believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That is, that he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to Calvary and he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. And on the third day he rose again. And they believe that and trusted Christ as their Savior. The challenge comes in their growing. Being young in their faith, they were suffering persecution during this period of time. And as the first century church was growing, they had difficulties maintaining unity because there were divisions that were happening inside the church. The divisions were coming religiously. What I mean by that is there was this religion called Judaism that they had come out of. And when they came out of Judaism, they failed to remember him. And I believe Paul wrote this letter. And in Paul writing this letter, the writer of Hebrews just simply said, Judaism's dead. Judaism went way of every, like every religion goes. It dies. Religion can never bring you to God. Religion can cause us to suffer and die in our sins. The only way for you to get to God is you've got to come by the way of Jesus Christ. See, that's not a religion, that's a relationship. Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. When mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, that relationship between us and God was broken. God promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that he would bridge that gap of separation. The way that he bridged the gap was through Jesus Christ. When Jesus arrived on the scene and lived that sinless life and died on, at Calvary's cross and rose again the third day, the Bible says, and Jesus proclaimed it in the book of John, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to get to God is you have to come through Jesus Christ. And so in communicating that truth, 
These individuals that were committed to Christianity were having this pull as young Christians to walk away from Christianity and go back into the religion of Judaism. This is the same thing that we do today. We do the same thing today in the name of religion. We create all kinds of religions today that says in order for you to get to God, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done in order for you to get to God. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. But you think about in the day in which we live in, a lot of times you hear about these different religions that exist today, and I'm not anti-Methodist or anti-Presbyterians or anti-Baptist or anti-any of this. I'm a Southern Baptist for a reason. I, I really am, but listen to me very closely. Being a Baptist won't get you into heaven. That's right. Being a Methodist won't get you into heaven. Being a Catholic won't get you into heaven. Yep. We don't get to heaven because we identify ourselves with some type of religion. That's right. We get to heaven because we have appropriated what Jesus Christ did on the cross and we have repented of our sins and we've trusted Christ uh, to save our soul. And we've done that by faith. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. He's going to proclaim that Jesus is more excellent through faith. You see, in the Old Testament, you had to come and get your sins forgiven once a year by a priest and the sacrifice of an animal. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, Jesus came once for all. Amen. One time for the call of humanity that whosoever will can be saved. So with that introduction laid to rest, let's look at Hebrews chapter number 11. I want to use verse number 1 as our springboard verse. And there are 40 verses in this chapter. So you have to listen really quick. Because I want to get through this because I really want you to be encouraged by it. Let's use verse 1 as our springboard verse. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Notice what the Scripture says, verse 1. Now, <clears throat> faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's read it one more time for consideration. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You may be seated for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Word of God, and I want to thank you for our congregation. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have this opportunity to share this message together from the Word of God. Lord, uh, I pray that today, as we go through this text, that as born-again children of God, we would be encouraged and challenged. I pray that we'd be encouraged to know that faith existed all through the Old Testament. And I pray that we would be challenged that our, our faith today would grow and be stronger than it has been in times past. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help. Maybe there's someone here today who doesn't know the free pardon of sin. Maybe they never trusted you by faith. Uh, Lord, I pray that today that someone would be saved and would trust you by faith. And Lord, I pray, Father, that the congregation as a whole, the whole totality of Maysville Baptist Church, that we would be encouraged by your word. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be with us today as we seek your face and we ask you to change us on the inside, that we may leave this place different 
than when we came in. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Bless our time together in the Word now, I pray. In Jesus' name, and the church said. So here, these 40 verses can naturally be broken down into three sections. There's three sections in these 40 verses, and I want to give those to you this morning. Number one, the first one I want you to see. The first thing we notice is verses 1, 2, and 3. This is faith's explanation. Faith's explanation. In the first three verses, the writer of Hebrews explains what faith is all about. Notice what he says in these three verses. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Here in this section of Scripture, the writer explains what faith is all about. Many times we've tried to explain faith as some kind of feeling or, or some kind of experience that we might have. But he says here in this particular passage of Scripture that this explanation of faith really revolves around two things. Number one, the first thing he says is it revolves around confidence. Look at the text one more time, and I hope you have your pen ready, because I'd like for you to underline that word substance. The Scripture says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. This word substance is a very fascinating Greek word. It has been found in, in many uh, uh, New Testament literatures, and it communicates the idea of a legal document that provided the individual with ownership of a piece of property. Uh, we use the term deed or title today. He says here that faith is the title deed, if you would, the title deed of things hoped for. That is to say that it gives us confidence to say that we're telling the truth. I live at 4296 Waterworks Road. I've got a deed that says that I own that property. And that title deed gives me confidence to know that if I want to go out there on the two acres that I can do something on, that I, I can build a shed, I can do whatever I need to do out there if I want to because that's my property. And I thank God that I have that opportunity to do so. And I thank God that I got that title deed. And if somebody trespasses, I say, no, you're on my property. You've got to get off. And they say, well, how do you know this is your property? Because I've got the title deed. Dear brothers and sisters, faith is the title deed of the, sub, of, the, of the things that we hope for. And the hope that we have is a surety. The hope found in the New Testament is not this hope that, well, I hope gas prices go down. Uh, or I hope I get all my Christmas shopping done. Or I hope so-and-so comes for Thanksgiving. It's not that kind of hope. No, the hope that's mentioned in the Scriptures is a surety. And the surety by which we hope for is eternity with Jesus Christ. It's eternity in heaven. Did you know the Bible says over in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts? That's what I find fascinating about the culture that we live in. To know that God has put eternity in the hearts of every person, yet we try every way in our own humanity to try to work our way to God. And yet the Bible is very clear that says because God's put eternity in your heart and God's, God bridged the gap from eternity to, to, uh, uh, to earthly, and that bridge is Jesus Christ, and the only way that you come to Jesus Christ is you've got to come by faith. And so the faith that we have has a direct tie 
to the Word of God. This is the confidence that I know that Jesus is telling me the truth because I hold in my hand the very Word of the living God. And this confidence that He has given to me is the title deed that tells me 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I don't have to think I'm going to heaven. I don't have to hope I'm going to heaven. I don't have to maybe say maybe I'm going to heaven. Justin, I can know that I'm going to heaven because the Bible is the title deed that says Jesus is who he says he is. And I can have that confidence in that. So not only does he use the word confidence here, but also the second thing is conviction. Because I know that the word of God is true, and because I'm confident that it is the substance of the things that are hoped for, it gives me that promise. Now I have conviction in my life to say that I'm going to live my life different than the world lives. Look at what the scripture says. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and faith is the evidence of things yet seen. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, this evidence that we have brings about conviction in our life, and any born-again child of God that's been changed by the power of God lives on his convictions. Uh, we, we have a, a church member who I love dearly, and he has a business that God is blessing. And he runs that business off of a conviction. A conviction is always tied to the Word of God. The conviction that he lives his life by and the conviction that he runs his business by is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. You know what Proverbs 20, verse 1 says? It says, wine's a mocker, strong drink is raging, and he that participates in this is not wise. That's what the Scripture says. And so this individual has lived his life when he come to Jesus Christ off of that conviction. And because he's living off of that conviction, he says, why, do I, why would I want to run my business outside of my conviction? So I'm going to run my business the same way I run my life, off of my convictions. And did you know by doing that, by doing that, God has blessed that business tremendously. I'll get emails from this dear saint, and this dear uh, saint will say, pray for us. Uh, we're, we're living off our convictions. We're running our business off convictions. So we're not going to promote any alcohol at all. We know the destruction of it. The individual that owns this business uh, is an alcoholic, has, has come out of that, has come out of alcoholism, and God has, has, has used him tremendously and saved him and saved his family. And it's just absolutely amazing to watch how when one time he says, no, I cannot, I can't promote that, I can't do that because it's contrary to my conviction, he loses that business. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I'm saying there's an individual that lives his life off a of conviction that will lose money in his business because he's living off of the conviction that he has in his heart knowing that the substance hoped for, that is the provision of God, will be met by God. And watch this. Every time they say no to promoting alcohol, God brings three more people to bless the business. 
it is amazing to watch how faith's explanation is being lived out. When I read this passage of Scripture, I could not help but think of this dear, dear saint that says, I don't care if it hair lips the Pope. I am going to live off my convictions. That's what it takes in order to be a born-again child of God. Are you living off your convictions? Number two, not only do we see faith's explanation, but we also see faith's example. In verses 4 through 31, uh, these verses give six examples of faith in the Word of God that these lives lived out. They lived out their faith. And he starts way back in the Old Testament, all the way in the book of Genesis. And the first one that he talks about is a man by the name of Abel. He says, Abel is the first individual I want you to think about. Now, I want you to remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these Jews. And these Jews love the Pentateuch. Man, they absolutely cherish the first five books of the Old Testament. And so he takes them there to, to Genesis, and he says, I want to show you that this faith that I'm describing to you is the same faith that they've been living since the day uh, that they got kicked out of the garden and they come to Jesus Christ. It is the same faith. And he says, the first example I want to give you is Abel. And look at what he says in verse 4 about Abel. He says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witnesses that he was righteous, God testifying to his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Now, there is a three-part, four-part message right there in that sermon, in that passage of Scripture that I don't have time to go through. But here's what I want you to see. If you have your pen, I want you to underline that very last section of verse number 4. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. That is the point of this illustration of Abel. He's communicating that Abel had worshiping faith. Abel lived his life for the worship of God. We see that in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. And so the primary meaning of this verse has to do with Abel speaking even though he's dead. So here's the natural question. Abel, what does your life say? Abel's life says that his faith motivated him to worship God. And he worshiped God, watch this, God's way, not his. Why? But remember the story, Cain killed Abel. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain came to God his way. Abel came to God God's way. God said, I want your best. I want your very best. I want the first fruits. I want all of you, Abel. And I want you to bring that to me in the form of a sacrifice. And so Abel and, and Cain both, Abel said, I'm going to do it God's way. And he got that calf and he killed that calf and he brought it to God to worship God. Cain, on the other hand, said, well, I know God said that, but I'm going to come to God my way. i got to deal with him. I'm going to be honest with you. Listen to me. God don't make deals. Man, I'm weary of these individuals that come to me and they say, well, I've made a deal with God. You better be careful. The Bible says that the angel demons of hell, they mimic the angels of God. And what you think you may be dealing with God, you might be dealing with the devil himself. God doesn't make deals. God has already made plans. And the plan that he made was found in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 15, where it says that God would bring a Messiah. He's going to bring someone that would crush the head of Satan and would only bruise the heel of the Messiah. Abel is a beautiful illustration of this. 
And Abel's life says three things. Man, I hope you get this. Number one, the first thing Abel's life says is this. Man comes to God by faith, not works. You look at Abel's life. He came to God by faith, not works. He did it God's way. Number two, man must accept God's revelation and not his own reason or his own self-will. A lot of times I get criticized and say, Preacher, you don't, think, you don't think Methodists are going to heaven, do you? No, I never said that. I never said it. It's not what I mean at all. What I said was, if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, you're going to come his way. You're going to come to Jesus his way. Uh, there's no greater evangelical institution in the history uh, of, uh, uh, of the gospel than the Methodist movement. But something has happened along the way when we think that in order for us to get to heaven, we can sign a paper on a confirmation lesson that we learned, and now we're saved. No, listen, you're not saved because you signed a card. Hey. Just like you're not saved because you signed up to be a member at Maysville. Hey. You're not saved just because you got in those waters and went down and come back up. You're not saved just because you partake of the Lord's Supper. No, the only way to be saved is to come to Jesus Christ hey. by faith. Hey. Not by religion, by faith. And then number three, well, the third thing we learn about Abel's life is sin is severely punished. Abel is a beautiful demonstration of worshiping faith. Number two, look at, look at number two. Here's the second one. Enoch. Verses five and six. Enoch is a beautiful demonstration of walking faith. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God every day. And as he walked with God every day, finally he walked so far with God every day that he'd come up missing. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found. I love that part. They were looking for that brother. You think about that during Enoch's day? People walking around saying, Where's that crazy Enoch? He's always talking to God. Where's he at? I hadn't seen him. In a, I hadn't seen him in two days. Then two days turned to two weeks. Two weeks turned to three months. Three months turned to three years. All of a sudden, that joker is gone. They can't find his body. They can't find his bones. They don't know where he's at. And the Bible tells us where he went. The Bible says he was translated. He was raptured up to be with Jesus. God simply said, look, you closer to my house than you are yours. Come on home and we'll go to the house. He tells us there in verse number 5, he says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The faith that Enoch had was a desire to please God. Dear brothers and sisters, can I ask you a question? What's the desire of your faith? Is it to please God or is it to please somebody? To please a person. Enoch gives us walking faith. Faith that we need to walk with God every day. Notice number three, the third person he goes to is Noah. Noah is a beautiful illustration of working faith. Noah's story is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 22. And in Hebrews, the Bible says this about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness 
which is by faith. Here we find a great deal about Noah. Noah had this working faith. The Bible says that he was moved with this godly fear. He had this reverence inside of God. God, he knew who God was. He knew what God wanted. He believed in the promises of God. And God said, Noah, I need you to build an ark. And what he did was he had working faith, even though he did not understand. Look at what the Scripture says. The Bible says there uh, in verse number 7, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet. He's like, I don't understand what this rain is. I don't understand what this water is. I'm not quite sure about all this. But God said build an ark. Bless God, I'm going to build an ark. And off he went to build that ark. And who was saved after the building of the ark? His family. Boy, there's something great we can learn here, church. The greatest people that you can win to Jesus Christ is your family. And I find it fascinating that as he was building that ark, and we know the narrative, there were people ridiculing him and talking about him and different things and, and, and things such as that. And, and he just kept on being faithful and kept on building that ark. But the only people who were saved, the only ones that were saved, are those that were in the boat. Hey. Dear friend, New Testament times, Jesus is the boat. Yep. And the only ones that are saved from the wrath to come is the boat. That's right. Get in the boat. Here's the question. Are you in the boat? Noah had this working faith. His faith caused him to work, to build that ark, to get as many people in the boat as he could. And the only ones he could get in the boat was his family. Boy, can you imagine as the congregation is hearing this, they're hearing these stories of faith and seeing faith's example, how that Abel had this worshiping faith, how Enoch had this walking faith, how Noah had this working faith. And then he gets down to Abraham in verses 8 through 22. And he says, Abraham had this waiting faith. It was a faith that had to wait. And notice what the Bible says again in the text as we pick it up in verse number 8. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place in which he should, uh, after receive of an inheritance, obey. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise as the strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of which of the same promise. For he took for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Uh, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when uh, she was uh, post age or past age because she judged him faithful who had the promise. Here we see this waiting faith of Abraham. We include Sarah in Abraham's life just to simply say this. Here is a couple, a husband and a wife, who was promised a child of God. And you remember what Sarah did when she first found out she was going to get pregnant? She laughed at God. I'm going to be honest with you. There's sometimes that faith is funny. God, you want me to do what? I laugh when God called me into ministry. I know this is hard to believe, but I'm here to tell you, this is the, the, the God's truth. I'm telling you, the Lord is my witness. He, it is the truth. I am by my very nature an introvert. When I was a kid, if my mom wanted to find me, she'd look up under the coffee table. I'd have my Hot Wheels playing in the, under the coffee table just by myself, just having the time. And then on March 22, 1988, something happened to me. I got under such deep conviction over my sin. I came forward one service and I I told the gentleman that received me, I said, look, if I died today, I'd go to hell. I don't know Jesus, but I want to. 
And I got on my knees and he took me through the Romans Road. And on that day, March 22nd, 1988, I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God was deposited in me. And I can't explain it. I'm just telling you what. I didn't hear a voice from heaven. A bright light didn't shine upon me. And the hallelujah course didn't start. But I can't keep my mouth shut. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. We find here in this passage of Scripture, Abraham and Sarah had this waiting faith. And she laughed. She said, are you kidding me? You mean to tell me I'm going to have a child? But the Bible tells us in verse number 11, the Bible says this. She judged him faithful who had promised. She may have laughed, but she later learned. God is a God that keeps his promise. And you may not hear anything else I say today, but I hope you'll hear this. God's going to keep his promise. That's right. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. God's going to keep his promise. The Bible says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, we're, it's going to happen. God's going to keep his promise. The good news about Abraham in regarding his faith, his faith was waiting in such a way that the Bible called him a sojourner. He sojourned faith. And thank God for his faith. And dear friend, I want to ask you a question this morning. Regardless of whatever mess you're in today, are you still following after faith? Can you say you have the faith of Abraham, the faith of Sarah, one that is loving God, and even though you don't understand it, you know God's going to help get you through it. I love what he says in verse number 17 as he makes mention of Isaac. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tired, offered up Isaac that had received the promises, uh, offered up his only begotten son. Here's the promised child. Here's the child that God had promised. And now God wants him to sacrifice him, to give his life. The faith of Abraham was so great, he knew that if he plunged that dagger into the chest of his child, that God, the one that he had faith in, would cause that child to rise back up. All that was required of Abraham was faith that led to obedience. See, a lot of times we don't see the resurrection of the dream that may have been died and sacrificed is because we've walked away from God. We find that this Isaac is mentioned in verse number 17, pointing to the kind of faith that Abraham had. And by having that kind of faith, he passed on to Isaac an embracing faith. Look at what he says in verse number 20. The Bible says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Can you imagine being that boy there as he's laying there and is about to get sacrificed and his dad keeps saying, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, God's going to provide. And there's the provision. He cuts the rope off of his son and goes and gets that sacrifice. And he puts that sacrifice on the altar. And he substitutes the death of his son for that goat or that animal. Oh, dear friend, what a picture of what Jesus did. You see, dear friend, you should have been on the cross. That was you. It was your sin. Jesus provided the means by which our salvation can be made secure through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of faith 
Abraham had. And he passed that down to Isaac. That was embracing faith. And then we find in verse 21, it passed on to Jacob. That's enduring faith. And down to Joseph, that's exalting faith. And we find this faith passed down from generation to generation to generation. Oh, dear friend, can I ask you a question? Are you passing down to the next generation your faith? Man, I meet people every day and I say, hey, how you doing? And they hadn't been in church in a while. So you okay? Yeah, we're fine. Is there, is there something wrong? No, 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 there ain't nothing wrong. They're missing you in church. Oh, well, you know, preacher. This gets busy. Oh, yeah, I know it does, doesn't it? Oh, preacher, you know, we've been sick. Yeah, it's tough. Oh, preacher that. Oh, preacher that. Hear me out, church. Please hear me on this. We're teaching our kids and we're teaching the next generation something. The greatest thing we could teach them is faith. Faith in the fact that the church isn't perfect, but the Bible says he will see this in chapter 13. In chapter 13, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You know what that means? Don't let sickness get you out of church. It's all right to be sick. You got a headache, you're sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever, need something for that. Hey, go, go get Don't come to church. Don't give it to all of us. Bless God, stay home. But when you better, get back in the house of God. Man, I'm all for hunting. Bless God, I went hunting last week. Man, I just, I hunted up a storm. I, I tell you, my, my consistency rate improved every day out there. The first day I shot 35 times, hit three birds. The second day I shot 12 times, hit three birds. And the third time, well, I won't talk about that. <laughs> the, bottom, the bottom line is just simply this. I was ready to get back to church. Bless God, I couldn't even leave you without doing a video. I wanted to be a part of it. Hey. That's the thing with born-again children of God. They want to pass down their faith. Abraham passed down this waiting faith. Isaac embraced the faith. Jacob endured the faith. And Joseph exalted the faith. And then watch what he does next. Look at what he goes. He goes to Moses next. Moses is found in Exodus chapter 2. Moses is a demonstration of wise faith. Here we see not just Moses, but we see the faith of his parents. The Bible says that they, they hid him for three months and, and that he was, a, uh, he was a proper child. He, he was a, a good-looking boy. I had never met an ugly baby. I, 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 a parent that thought their baby was ugly. I, I hadn't. I, I tell you what. It's, well, that's different, though, you know, as a pastor. I mean, you, you come up and, uh, and see a baby and say, Oh, isn't he gorgeous? But, man, I'm telling you, he's unique. He's unique. I mean, it's beautiful. Oh, you ever seen a newborn baby? They ugly. All of them are ugly. I mean, brand new, got cone heads. I mean, they just like. I mean, just ugly. Look, some little little alien there. You had to massage the head and get it all pushing. I mean, our kids, uh, get that, get the head back in there. Just get it right where it looks like a got a forehead. Good night. <laughs> ugly. But, but even we find here Moses' parents. Oh, he's a beautiful child. He's a proper child. This ain't no ordinary kid. Doesn't it sound like us as parents? We find here in this text, Moses' parents' faith. They had faith to say, no, listen, our son, our son is unique. And we're going to pass along this faith. And here's how much faith we have in him. We're going to put him in a basket. And we're going to send him down the river. And we're going to watch what God does. Hey. 
The Bible tells us here that Moses, in verse 24, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The faith that Moses had was a faith that he was able to have wise faith. Knowing and remembering where he came from. And God used him in great and mighty ways. The writer switches in verse 30 and talks about Joshua. In Joshua, we see this withstanding faith. uh, Faith to withstand whatever comes your way. And in this case, to destroy Jericho in a quite unique way. We find the story in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 27, where we're told that the children of Israel were to walk around the city for seven days. And seven times, and they do it 13 times as they encircled that city and then blow a trumpet and shout and watch the walls fall down. You talk about faith. He had faith that withstood even the craziest idea. I'm going to tell you what, God can tell you to do some crazy things. Sitting there pumping gas. You know, you looking at the number and saying, I wish these gas prices would go down. Then all of a sudden, here comes somebody. And there's 1,400 people in the parking lot. But that person's locked in on you. And they come in, they stand, they won't talk to you. And you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And by faith, they trust Christ as their Savior. Oh, listen to me, friend. Withstanding faith means God's going to ask you to do some crazy stuff sometimes. For some, he might be asking you to witness to that neighbor across the street. So that's crazy. That's radical for you. For others, he's asking you to teach a Sunday school class. Pass on your faith to another generation. And then there's others that God's saying, look, God's blessed you. He's blessed your business financially. He has blessed you. He has given you all your heart's desires financially. And you have been faithful. You've been faithful in giving your tithes. You've been faithful in giving your offerings. But I want you to do something extraordinary. I want you to finish paying off that debt. Wait a minute, God. We got to talk about this for a minute. Oh, dear friend, God will ask you to do some crazy things. Joshua is a beautiful picture of withstanding faith. And then he comes to verse number 31. And he comes to a lady named Rahab. Rahab is a beautiful illustration of willing faith. Look at what the Bible says about Rahab in verse number 31. The scripture says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Oh, everybody that was listening to this letter, these Jewish Christians clearly understood who Rahab was. She was a prostitute. And here were the children of God, the spies, coming in to spy out the land. And they got uh, there uh, to Rahab's house and all of a sudden they needed a place to hide they were going to be in trouble and this prostitute said come in my house you can hide out in here and they hid the spies of God she hid the spies of God and in hiding the spies of God we see a very very unique faith a faith that's willing to do whatever it takes for the word of God to get out It is so unique that we find that God doesn't care who he has to use. He can even use a prostitute. You know what? That gives me great hope. I meet people every day that say this. I just, preacher, you just don't know what I did. I I don't know that God can save me. 
But God, if he can save a prostitute in the Bible, he can save you. Amen. It don't matter how far down the road you think you are. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you think you are. I'm telling you what, God can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hey. We see here in this passage of Scripture, faith's example. And then here's the third and final point, and I close. The third thing I want you to notice is faith's endurance. In chapter 32, or excuse me, in chapter 11, verse 32 through 40, here we find, in regards to faith, the endurance that faith has. And regarding this endurance, he talks about a few people in verse number 32. Let me show you what I'm saying. Look at what he says in verse 32. He says, and what shall I say more? Or, 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 or what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and of Japheth and of David also and Samuel and the other prophets. He says this, I don't have time to tell you everything that's on my mind. Man, I, I, I feel, again, I, this is the reason why I believe Paul said it. Paul was always in a hurry. I, I feel so much like him. He, he just, I got more to say than I can say. I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon or the rest of these guys. He says, but here's some things I want you to know. That their faith had some extreme endurance. In fact, there were three things about the endurance of their faith that I want you to notice. Number one, the first thing he talks about are the conquest. He says, when you've got faith, I'm telling you what, the, the faith that I'm talking about here, not just with these guys, but of everything. Everybody I've talked about, the writer says, their faith was able to do amazing things. It was ten, actually ten things, he said. There are ten things that this kind of faith can do. Look at them real quick, very quickly. He says, it can conquer. This kind of faith can conquer. He says, it subdued kingdoms in verse 33. He says, it builds character. That is to say, that it wrought righteousness. They could not help but think about Enoch and Elijah as he spoke of them. It says, it yields compensation. It says, they obtained promises. It offers closing. It stopped the mouth of lions. You think about this just for a minute. When they got to verse 33 and they heard that this kind of faith stops the mouth of lions, their minds immediately went to Daniel and the lions. Hey. He tells them in verse 34 it says, it gives you control. This kind of faith can give you some control. What do you mean? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them? The kind of faith that they had quenched the violence of fire. That's right. Verse 34, it can give you cleverness. The Bible says that it can cause you to escape the edge of the sword. Who were they thinking about when they talked about that? They're talking about David. Mm -hmm. This is a fascinating story in the Old Testament. David's running from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. David don't want to kill King Saul because that's God's ordained king. God anointed him to be the king. Saul wants to kill David because he's jealous. Right. David's going to be king. But, but he doesn't want to uh, exercise vengeance and kill King Saul just so he can become king. So he goes on the run. And as he's running, he goes and he hides in this cave one day while Saul's chasing him. Saul's got a sword and he's trying to kill him. And Saul goes into this cave that David's in, not because he knows David's in it, but he's, he goes to cover his feet. Now, I love the Bible. The Bible is very uh, humorous, and the Bible is very explicit. I don't know if you know what covering your feet means, but anytime you see that in the Old Testament, it means to go to the bathroom. So the Bible says that Saul went into this cave to cover his feet to go to the bathroom. Now, remember, they had these tunics on all along, you know, and, uh, to keep them uh, protected. And so he goes in there, and he takes off the robe so that he can go to the bathroom, and he's covering his feet. That's why they call it like that. David is hiding in the blackness of this cave. And he walks up to Saul while he's covering his feet. 
and he cuts off the edge of his garment. And he tells Saul later, he holds this as Saul, I could have killed you that day in that cave, but I didn't do it. You know what kind of faith that is? That's the kind of faith that causes you to be clever. He talks about this cleverness of faith. It became such that he was able to escape the edge of the sword. This kind of faith can usher in change. Verse 34, look at what he says. Out of weakness is made strong. Who do they think about there? Samson. Remember how strong Samson was? And he got his hair cut, and then he was very weak. But yet out of that weakness, he realized that it really wasn't in his hair. It was in his faith. And by the faith he was made strong was able to deliver the children of Israel. It gives you courage. Verse 34, the Bible says they became valiant in a fight. Oh, the children of Israel were valiant on many occasions. The Bible also says in verse 34, it can cause chasing. The Bible says in verse 34, they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. They thought about Gideon, how that Gideon put the Midianites in the wind and they chased them away. And then the last one, verse 35, it rewards with a crown. The Bible says women receive their dead, raised to life again. Oh, there's no doubt he was thinking about Elijah and Elisha who worked those miracles and raised those dead. But dear friend, remember, get the picture here. He's talking about having this New Testament faith just like those Old Testament saints had that faith. We too have the same faith. And just as they were raised from the dead, we too are raised from the dead through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, so why do you want to go back to Judaism? Don't do it. But then watch this. Watch what he does. He says, not only does this kind of faith conquer, he says, but this kind of faith is costly. There's some costliness to this kind of faith. Verse 35, look at what he says here in the latter part. He says, in the second part of verse number 35, in closing, he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in the sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in the caves of the earth. Did you see what happened here? He says, there's a costliness to this kind of faith. If you're going to have this kind of faith, it might cost you some treatment. There's some treatment here that goes on. He says, listen, verse number 35, did you see what he said there? He said, in the latter part, and the, <clears throat> excuse me, he said they were tortured. The word torture there speaks of a will of torture. Not the will of fortune, but the will of torture where they would string them up on this wheel and they would crank this wheel down and it would pull the arms and the legs out of socket. He's saying that there's a costliness to this kind of faith. It could cost you your life. He said it could cost you in the area of the tongue. He says there in verse 36 and 37, there were cruel mockings. He said if you're going to have this kind of faith, there are going to be people that are going to say some crazy things about you. You're a Jesus freak, or you think you're righteous, you're more holy than anybody else. They'll they'll say some, some mean things about you. And then watch this. He said, there might even be some traveling. Verse 38. He says that they wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, and caves. He says, this kind of faith might cause you to have to leave your hometown. Dear friends, there's a movement happening today in the Middle East, a movement of God that's beyond anything you've ever seen. There's no churches. There's no pastors. 
The Word of God is illegal. This is illegal to have. Yet the church is growing faster than any church anywhere as they worship and sing praises to Jesus Christ. What's happening? The church, because of their faith, is growing. And then here's the conclusion, verse 39 and 40, and I close. And there's two things here I want to show you. Go ahead and put them up. There's the praise and there's the perfection. In verse 39, there's the praise. Look at what he says here. Don't miss this. He says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Don't get confused on that. He's not saying that they didn't go to heaven when they died. He says that they got a good report. What does that mean? He says their faith is strong. But they did not receive the promise. That is, their eyes did not look upon Jesus physically. They died in their faith. And that faith translated them to be with God. Then watch this. Here is the perfection. God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. He says just simply this. The Old Testament saints, by faith, looked to see what the Messiah would do. But the New Testament saints look back and see what the Messiah did. And he says both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints receive the same promise. That's the promise of heaven. Brothers and sisters, that's the perfection we are are going to encounter. Amen? Man, I thank God. That one day, I'm going to lay this tent down, this tabernacle, this body's going back to the grave. And I'm going home to be with Jesus. Here's the question, are you? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Dear friend, today's the day of your salvation. Today's the day when you can receive Christ. If you're here today and you'd like to trust Jesus... The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Dear friend, if you'd like to do that, right where you're at today, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. This morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Today I trust you as my Savior. I repent of my sin. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.